Heavenly Father, thanks that we can be together. It's good to be with family and with friends and with friends that just haven't met yet. Thanks for your word and for your presence by your spirit. We pray tonight that your spirit might speak to us through your word, that we might learn more about Jesus and more about what it means to follow him and to love him. We pray, Heavenly Father, you would draw us close to yourself. We pray this in Jesus' name. Everybody said, Amen. The Lord Jesus is building his church and the church that he is building is made up of believers, believers in him. As I said in the morning service a couple of weeks ago, everybody is invited, nobody is left out, everybody is welcome. But only those who believe, only those who repent, believe and accept Jesus are included. If you're not one of those people yet, then Jesus certainly invites you, he wants you to come, he wants you part of his family. Well, then we said the next week that uh, the church the Lord Jesus is building is also a church which is one. He wants us to be united. As close as a relationship as the Son, the Lord Jesus had with his heavenly Father, that intimacy and closeness, that's what he wants us to have with him, but also with one another. He wants us to be united. We get glimpses of that and experiences of that on this earthly journey, but one day that will be actual reality. And then tonight, the church the Lord Jesus is building is a church which celebrates communion, a church that focuses upon him, his death and his resurrection. The Lord Jesus gave these instructions. So tonight we're talking about communion and I've got a series of questions. We haven't done this for ages. I'm going to fire, I think there's about nine questions. I want to fire these at you. I want you to think about them. You've got about 10, 15 seconds to think of an answer. You can talk to the person next to you if you want, or you can just sit there and go, I think the answer is this, just a simple yes or no. Um, you might want to qualify some of them, but anyway, here we go. Do you have to be baptised before you can have the Lord's Supper, before you can have communion? Do you have to be baptised? Do you have to be a believer before you have communion? Just quietly to yourselves. <laughs> Do you have to be sinless? <laughs> Wrong. Do you have to be repentant of sin? Do you have to be a member of the church? Do you have to take the Lord's Supper every time that it's offered? Mm. Can you take it wrongly? Can a non-Christian take it if they acknowledge that this is about Christ and his death and his resurrection, I know that it's special. Can a non-Christian take it? Can a child have communion? The room got very quiet on those ones. Jesus gave the command very clearly and uh, he's the one who instituted this thing that we call, we call it lots of things. Um, he said, do this in remembrance of me. But then he left no further instructions about what do, we, what do we call it, where do we do it, who can do it, how often, you know, who with and so on. Let's have a look at these slides just to see the variety that exists in the different denominations. Is this going to work? Let's go to the next slide. There we go. It has different titles. What do you call it? Some people call it communion. Some people call it the Eucharist, which simply means thanksgiving. Uh, it's an ordinance or a command, something that Jesus ordained for us to do. It's a sacrament in some churches. It's the means of grace. That's what that means, that God imparts. Some people just call it the meal. Some people call it the breaking of bread. Different titles, different things 
And certainly the top three and the bottom one are quite acceptable. Biblically, all those terms are used. Next. has different titles. It's done in different ways. Some people actually hold up the elements. You go to some churches, they, it's called elevating the host, you know, the bread and the cup. Before they participate in it, they hold it up. And if you don't hold it up, then it's not official, it's not done properly. Um, some people actually get a loaf of bread and they break the bread. Other people, like our church, we already have the bread already chopped up and, and so on. Some people's churches sit like we do and it's brought to you. Other people line up, Kate's church, they line up to get it. Um, some people come forward to an altar or railing and they kneel down to have it. All different ways. Um, some people come to the table or they might go to different locations in the room to have it. Um, and the church whole congregation just cycles through on however they do it. In Kate's church, <coughs> they have about... A dozen people or so come forward and one person gets a plate of bread and another person gets a plate both of wine, a, a tray of wine and of grape juice. They have both. It's interesting. And then they'll go in pairs and I'll go and stand somewhere in a room. Oh, um, what am I doing, was I? Besides walking around. Is that okay? Give Dan a really big... Kate's Church, these people come forward and they go off in pairs. So a lady and a guy will go over here and one person will be holding... They have wafers. Uh, anyway, they're holding that. And you come and you take that and then you dip it in the wine. You choose which one, grape juice or wine. And you put that in your mouth and you just go back and sit down. And there's like hundreds of people, so they just cycle around. and um, That's how they do it. Next. Not only do we do, churches do it in all different sorts of ways, uh, they use different elements. Some, like I just said, some people use wine, actual wine. Some people use grape juice. We use grape juice. Our Cantonese brothers and sisters use cordial. Um, one church, Seaforth Baptist Church, my very first church when I was in college and was pastoring a church, we ran out of grape juice. So we used, um, um, what's it, grape, grapefruit? Is that it? It's a big yellow sour thing. We had that juice. Yeah, oh, yuck. That's what it was. Oh, yuck. And I had every bit of self-control within me to go, the, the sufferings of Christ are indeed bitter. I was not to make that comment. Uh, some people use many cups like we do. Some churches used to decreasingly use one cup. The AIDS virus is what has led to a change in many churches. We've had people come to a Baptist church and say, do you use one cup or many cups? We use many cups. Okay, I'll come to your church. Because they're frightened of catching diseases or whatever. Um, uh, bread squares, is it white, is it brown, is it wholemeal, does it have grain, is it unleavened, whatever. Um, one loaf, or do you have rolls chopped up? There are other elements as well in other countries, like in Papua New Guinea, I think it is. They'll use sweet potato, not bread, um, and so on. Moving on, so different churches, different way, do it in different places. Some people do it in church services only. Some people, we do take it to homes for people who are sick. We do that. Uh, you might have been on a camp where they've had communion or nursing homes and hospitals and chapels or at bedsides of people. Uh, communion is taken to all different sorts of places and locations. All acceptable. Uh, there are different celebrants. Different churches have different people who can officiate. For some churches, you have to be either licensed or a reverend. 
Otherwise, you can't officiate. The Chin people are like that. They invited me when they first started coming and using our church, and they invited me to come and lead communion because they didn't have anybody who was a reverend or ordained or something, and they couldn't have communion. That was their understanding, which is a Baptist influence in the land of Burma, coming from um, American Baptists. And Anyway, uh, Anglican churches, you can be either a reverend or you may have a deacon, but the deacon has to be ordained in order to officiate a communion. Some churches, they say it's only the elders or the officers of church who can do it. Uh, some churches, not many, they say only men can do it. In some churches, they say, no, no, believers can do it. That's what we say. Believers can do it, male and female. They can officiate. Um, I've been in a church where we've done this, where we actually get a family, mum, dad and the kids, and they officiate at communion and they lead the church family in communion. And that can be quite meaningful. I know life group leaders and so on, they can celebrate communion. So different celebrants. Lord Jesus left no instructions about any of this, and that's why there is such a great deal of variety. Next. Uh, different frequencies. Some churches do it daily, weekly, monthly. You can read quarterly, annually. Um, some people do it only when they have a church meal. They think communion is meant to be linked, like the Passover meal, to a meal. And if you're not having a meal, then you can't have communion. Um, and there's different ways of preparation. This is called fencing the table. That's an old Presbyterian term where the elders, like the second one, would come and visit you and they would check. Have you been obedient? Have you been attending church? Have you been giving your offerings? Are you walking with the Lord? Are you being an obedient, faithful Christian? Well, then they'll give you a ticket so that you can come to communion the following Sunday. Some churches do that. Not all Presbyterian churches do that. This is certainly going back a lot, a long time as well. Um, for us, it's a personal preparation. Um, and either before the service or particularly in the service, take time, and we'll talk about that in a moment. Uh, for some churches, there is no preparation. They just put it on and people do it and, and so on. Next. Uh, different audiences. Uh, I, I couldn't think of any churches where it's men only, but I do know of churches where it's believers only. And in fact, they'll ask unbelievers to leave. And for some of those churches, it'll be members only. So if we're having communion tonight, for those of you who are not members or believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, thank you for coming. We'll see you next week and you can go now because we, the members and the believers, are going to stay and we're going to have communion. So you never get to have it outside the family, so to speak. Um, Ours is the fourth dot point down. We invite uh, all believers to come and to celebrate with us. And we'll talk about this. Is it without sin or is it even with sin? But it's up to your own conscience. So we'll come to that in a moment. So different audiences can participate in. Different people can receive the elements of communion. Is that it? We're done. Cool. So there's a whole lot of variety about communion. And that's not even to get into the very different, significant theological differences of understanding. The Catholics believe that when Jesus says, this is my body, they believe that it actually becomes his body. It's called transubstantiation. It is, it's transformed, if you like. At one stage, it was even like the bread becomes flesh and the wine becomes blood. And so it's you're actually eating and drinking, flesh and blood. Um, of course, they have modified their belief, I think, slightly now. That's uh, more like the Lutherans where it's uh, consubstantiation. It's not, no, the bread stays bread, the wine stays wine, but Jesus' presence is somehow associated with those elements. And then there are other people and more Baptist people who over here who say, eh, it's none of that. It's just simply a memorial. That's all it is. We do this in remembrance of him. We remember him. Nothing special about the elements at all. And then Calvin is somewhere in the middle of those, and that's probably where I am. I think that goes too far the way of playing it down, and this one plays it up too high. It's really here. There is a sense of something special about this, something different, 
It's not magical. It's the elements are bread and grape juice or the fruit of the vine. Uh, but the Jesus, Lord Jesus is present in us and with us as we obey him through this. Anyway, that's not to go into all of those things, but just quickly to skip through. So, <clears throat> the Lord Jesus gave us two ordinances, two of these sorts of religious ceremonies. One is baptism and one is communion. Obviously, we're talking about the second one. Both of them he instituted and both of them he set by his own example. Jesus was baptised by John the Baptist and he instructed us, commanded us, go make disciples and baptise them, in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and teach them to obey everything I have commanded you. So he commanded baptism, but he also commands communion. He instituted at the Last Supper, at the Passover, which I'll talk about quickly, and he transferred the Passover into a new Passover and he says this command of do this, if you like, continue to do this, in remembrance of me, eat the bread and drink the cup. Do this in remembrance of me. It's no coincidence that the Lord Jesus links communion with Passover. The Passover was a, an experience that happened in the history of the people of God, the people of Israel, almost 4,000 years from here, about 2000, 1800 BC. People of Israel go down to Egypt and they stay there for 400 years. And while they are there, they, they grow but their circumstances change and they end up becoming captives. They become enslaved. And God sends them a deliverer, Moses, who gives instructions on how they will be set free. And the instructions were that the people of God were to gather one night in their homes. They were to take a lamb, a lamb without defect, a male lamb without defect. That they were to slay the lamb, take the blood of the lamb and to put it on the, the lintels and the door frames of their house which when you think about it, it's like the form of a cross. And they were to eat the lamb with unleavened bread. Um, and then that night, the angel of death would pass through the cities and over the land of Egypt. And if he saw the sign of the cross, he saw the blood on the door, then he would pass over them, hence the name of the festival. He would, um, God's wrath would not descend. Where there was no blood, where the people had not been obedient or believing that judgment was coming, then the angel of death uh, killed the firstborn. That's the biblical story. You can read it in Exodus 12 and uh, work your way through it. So judgment was averted and deliverance was secured. These are the same truths that are revised for us and repeated for us through communion. There was a time when we were enslaved to a king from whom we couldn't escape, Satan. And God sent a rescuer, Jesus. And he just doesn't talk about the lamb, he was the lamb. And he says, as at the time when he was eating unleavened bread, that this is my body, which is given for you. And so it's Jesus' death on the cross as the lamb of God and his blood is shed, which we remember in drinking when we drink from the cup. As we believe that and hide under that or enter into a relationship with him, so judgment is averted. We are no longer under wrath and our rescue is enacted. We have been redeemed it's an important significant ordinance that all churches must keep and if a church does not keep the ordinances then by definition they cannot be a church there are certain marks of belonging to the church and certainly that's one of them the, the ordinances baptism and communion 
are celebrated and followed. Now in this passage that we had read to us tonight by Michael, the Apostle Paul is writing to a church in Corinth and they'd gotten themselves into some difficulties and they were getting something wrong, certainly in the life of their church and also in the way they did communion. And if you look at 1 Corinthians chapter 11, it falls into three paragraphs. He talks about the problems they had. I always spend too much time on that. He talks about the purpose of communion, which is correcting the problems they had. And then he goes on to make an application of that to us. So that's what we're going to do pretty quickly. And just very quickly, what were the problems the church in Corinth was having? Uh, well, they were divided. They were critical. They were bickering among themselves. Uh, but most importantly, they seem to have made distinctions. That there was some sort of either spiritual or actual class distinctions. There was the upper class and there was the lower class or there were whatever. There were the haves and the haves not. All followers of Jesus. And that when they came together as a church, the haves were behaving in a certain way and the have-nots were missing out. And the have-nots eventually write to the Apostle Paul and they tell him this is what's going on. And even the Apostle Paul is so shocked by it he says in verse 18, uh, in the first place, I hear that when you come together as a church that there are divisions among you, distinctions, uh, divisions among you. And to some extent, I believe it. In other words, I've heard this horrible story about what you guys are doing and I can't believe it's that bad, but I believe some of it. And to some extent, I believe it. Uh, he says, when you come together, it's not the Lord's Supper you are eating, um, because as you eat, one of you goes ahead of the other without waiting for somebody. Somebody goes hungry and somebody even gets drunk. It's quite extreme sorts of behaviour. To, to this church, which is in conflict, the Apostle Paul writes these very helpful instructions, which outside the first three Gospels, Matthew, Mark and Luke, we have no other details about the Lord's Supper. It's interesting, isn't it? Something so significant is referred to Matthew, Mark and Luke and 1 Corinthians 10 and 11. Luke, of course, references that in terms of the breaking of bread, but no details about how they did it. So I don't want to go into any more about their problems. What was the purpose? <clears throat> the Apostle Paul says this, and this is relevant for us. He says, firstly, listen, this is not my opinion. I passed on to you what I also received, this tradition, that this is um, something so significant that this is God's instructions for us. It's from him. He places in a historical setting about the Passover, which I've spoken about, and he says to them pretty much three things. Number one, he says, when you come together, you are to celebrate communion and to do it in such a way that the focus is upon Jesus. It's a command. That's the first point. Do this in remembrance of me. It's something that we are to do, not neglect and not mess up. To not partake in communion, therefore, is disobedience. It's a command and that we are to do it. The Lord Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Or in Luke, he says, um, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and you don't do what I say? Well, he said that we are to do this. Do this in remembrance of me. You're to bring to mind, to recall, to rehearse, if you like, 
what Jesus did. It was an historical event. It was an actual event. We are to recapture that. In a sense, relive it, not repeat it. He doesn't get killed again. But we are reminding ourselves of what he did, that he came into our world, that he lived, that he died for sin, for sinners, that he rose again from the dead and that he ascended and one day he is returning. All of that is encapsulated in this truth of communion. Do this in remembrance of me. Don't do it carelessly. Don't do it mockingly. Don't do it without thinking of me. Do this in remembrance of me. He's to be the focus. It's a command. Number two, verse 26, he says, for, us, <clears throat> for as often as you do this, you proclaim his death until he comes. When we gather around the Lord's table and we participate in it, we are acknowledging publicly that Christ died, and we're saying personally, and he died for me. That's important. Just as we take and receive the elements, so it's because we have actually received the Lord Jesus into our life. Who are we proclaiming this truth to? Well, to one another and to others who are looking on, certainly. But we're also saying it spiritually. We're saying it to our Heavenly Father. We're saying it to the angels in heaven. Or we're saying it to Satan. We are on Jesus' side. We identify with him. We belong to him. And we are obeying him. And we are to do this until he comes. He is coming. And when he comes, he will replace communion. He will replace the Lord's Supper. He'll replace it with another meal, the marriage supper of the Lamb. So we as his followers are to look forward to that because we will be with him, but also we'll be like him, that we will be transformed into his image completely. It's a process now, but it'll be completed then. So it's a command. We do it because he commanded it. We do it because we are confessing our faith, proclaiming him physically as well as spiritually. If you like, somebody once said this to me and I find this helpful. In communion, there are four looks. We look back historically. We're looking back to what Jesus did and we're eating it because of his command. We look forward because he's coming. We look around at one another because we're doing this in the context of community and we are confessing to them that we are believers in the Lord Jesus. But the passage then goes on to say this third thing, that we are not only to look back, look ahead, look around, we are also to look within because he goes on to say uh, this is in that third paragraph that we are to examine ourselves verse 27 therefore whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the lord in an unworthy manner an unworthy manner what does that mean well whatever it means we'll talk about um, they will be guilty they will be held to account for sinning against the body and the blood of the lord to eat in an unworthy manner results in, he says, judgment. Verse 28, a man, a person ought to examine themselves before he eats or drinks of the cup. Why? For anyone who eats or drinks without recognizing the body of the Lord. So you've got to recognize this is something special. It's different. It's not just bread. It's, it's bread, but it's reminding us of the body of the Lord Jesus. If you eat without drink, uh, or drink without recognizing the body of the Lord, then you eat or drink judgment on yourself. That's why many among you are weak, sick, and a number of you have died. But if we judge ourselves, we'll not come under judgment, he goes on to say. So it's, it's a command. 
It's a confession that we're confessing to others and to the spiritual realm as well, but it's also something about consecration. It's about we've got to examine ourselves, making sure that are we in the faith? Are we right with one another? So that's what this, I think, in an unworthy manner means. It means that you come to communion and you do it automatically, ritualistically. You do it, in other words, without engaging the mind or the heart. You're going through the motions but without understanding. That's dangerous. It means that if I take communion, if I'm eating the bread and drinking the cup, while I've got bitterness or discord with a fellow brother or sister, another believer, if I'm out of step with somebody and I'm having communion with the Lord and saying, Lord, I'm one with you and I'm loving you and I'm obeying you, then while I'm not in fellowship with somebody, then likewise, it's dangerous. And most certainly, if there is sin in your life, if you're not loving and obeying the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, if there's something not right, your obedience is not up to date with God, then that likewise is dangerous. We're dishonouring him. So the passage says that we are to take some time and to examine ourselves in my relationships and in my attitude and obedience with God. Am I right with him? either during the service or just beforehand or even at home to prepare ourselves. You see, it's, listen carefully, this is complicated, but I'm going, I've thought about these words and this is the best I think I can do. When we eat the bread and drink the juice, it's not just bread. It becomes something special because it represents Jesus. And it reminds us of Christ's body, which was broken for us. It is bread. It doesn't change from being bread. But it's something more than bread. Because it's in this context of communion. If I say it like this, then you can persecute me later. It's not just bread, it's his body. That's how we are to think about it. That which I put in my mouth and press with my teeth is bread. But in my mind and in my heart and in my spirit, I am taking and receiving the work of Jesus by faith. I am trusting in him. I am saying, I belong to you and I am right with my brothers and sisters. And if that's not the case, then Jesus will respond with judgment or with discipline, possibly, as he certainly did on some occasions back then. Why should we have communion? Because it's commanded. It's a public confession that proclaims him. And it's this challenge. I found this helpful, so I'll share it with you. The word body becomes significant when it comes to communion. The bread is the body of the Lord Jesus. The church is the body of the Lord Jesus. And that my body is to be fully devoted to him. So when I come to communion... I remember him and his body in the bread, through the bread. But I do that in the context of his body, the church, of which I am to be in right fellowship and right relationship. And I am to do likewise in the sense of full consecration of my body to him. I have been bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body. Or Romans 12, 1, you know, in view of the mercies of God, What's our appropriate response? But to submit and surrender our whole body to him. Every part of us, the body of Christ, 
in the body of Christ, taking my body for Christ. Who should participate? Disciples, believers, the brethren only. It's not for those who are not followers of the Lord Jesus. And in fact, they're instructed in this passage to let the elements pass you by. It's forbidden to partake. So that last question about, what about a non-Christian who understands, I know this is special, I know it's about Jesus, his death and resurrection, can I partake? No. Because it's not simply knowing something in your head, there's also a connection in the heart that it's not just he died, it's he died for me. It's not just something I understand, it's something I appropriate. What about children? Well, it's up to parents. But my instructions to you would be, but the kids should believe and they should have some understanding before you allow them to do it. I remember our son, I think I've got this right, uh, when he was a young fellow and we're having communion, he simply said, can I have something to eat too? So then along, we would take along a little um, box of things so that he could have something to eat because he was far too young to understand what is going on. That's my view. But it's, if you're the parent, it's your child, then you need to instruct and it's up to you. Do you have to be baptised to, to have communion? No. Should be, but no. And our church policy, our church position on that is certainly, it's an open table. If you are a believer in the Lord Jesus, we invite you to come. If you haven't been baptised, that's between you and God. You may have become a Christian just in the last week and you haven't time to get baptised. So no, you, by all means, come. It's a command. Obey the command. Come. But if you've been a believer for a long time and you haven't been baptised, well, it's another question. Why aren't you baptised? Why haven't you been obedient to that? The church Jesus is building is a church made up of believers it's united with him and with one another and it's a church which celebrates communion. That's what he wants. In obedience to his command, it's confession of faith to him, to others and it's a repeated challenge to us. I want to go back and answer those questions very quickly and then I want to make four applications rapid fire. I've answered some of them. Do you have to be baptised before you can have communion? No. Do you have to be a believer? Yes. Can you, do you have to be sinless? No. None of us are sinless. Do you have to be repentant? Yes. Do you have to be a member of the church? No. You have to be a member of the universal church. You've got to be a believer. It's automatic. But no, you don't have to be a member of a local church. You could be visiting another church like we did with Kate's church. We're not members of that local church. But we had communion because we're believers in the Lord Jesus and it's a command. Do you have to take communion every time it's offered? No. There, there could be that exception where... I didn't quite explain this too well, did I? Of, um, while it's commanded, if you are out of step with somebody and then for you to take communion could be to take it in an unworthy manner, so you need to repent. So in the process of preparing yourself, right when you're about to have communion, if the Holy Spirit says, listen, this is not right in your life, well, repent immediately. And if you're repentant, then by all means come. But if you're not repentant, then don't take communion because you'll take it in an unworthy manner. Now you see the problem? You are commanded to take it. But don't take it if you're not right. Because to take it if you're not right is to be disobedient. And to not take it is to be disobedient. You can't win. You are disobedient. So therefore, don't be disobedient. That's the point of communion. It's be right with him and be right with one another and be in that state, in that perpetual state. Keep working at it. We're not sinless, but that's to be the orientation of our feet. So do you have to take communion every time it's offered? No, but you should, nearly. If you're not taking communion, it's because something's not right.
Can you take it wrongly? Yes. Can a non-Christian who acknowledges it's about Jesus and it's special, can they? No, because they're not mixing it with faith in their heart. Can a child have it? I already told you that. Um, It's up to the parents. And I think the child needs to have some level of understanding and faith. Here are four points of application that I'm going to pray. Number one, don't neglect communion, the Lord's Supper. Do not neglect it. It's a command. And there is a day of accounting coming. And we will have to face the Lord Jesus if we are being disobedient. Don't neglect it. We do it in our church uh, uh, once a month in the morning, once a month at night. So in other words, every two weeks, every fortnight or thereabouts, it's possible for you to have communion morning and evening. Number two, don't receive the, Lord, the Lord's Supper carelessly. Don't do it just simply out of routine or without heart or without thought. Don't draw near to him without repentance, faith and love. And do not take communion if your whole heart is full of sin or lust or full of the world or disobedience then you've got some repenting to do don't add to that by doing this in an unworthy manner number three don't do anything to discredit your confession at the lord's supper when you receive the elements and you are confessing that you belong to him live like you belong to him that you are his and that he is yours don't run into sin don't play the hypocrite don't say i'm obedient and i'm close with everybody and then do the opposite and then finally don't make more of the lord's supper either than what it is it's not the most important thing it's not chief it's not the most significant thing in christianity or in our worship service that's why it's not mentioned in most books in the new testament it is mentioned but not it's mentioned in five And especially, it's not in the pastoral, it's not in 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy or Titus, where it's full of instructions about pastors and elders and how they should run the church and what they should do in the church. It's not even mentioned. Repenting, believing, being holy, being born again, that's important. Knowing and loving him is important. And then communion follows on from that. So do not place the Lord's Supper above prayer or above preaching of his word. Don't neglect it. Don't receive it carelessly and don't receive it hypocritically. The church the Lord Jesus is building is a church which is about him and about being one and about remembering him and celebrating him in communion. That's the church that he wants. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we want to thank you that you came into our world, lived, died for us, rose victorious, ascended, one day are returning. Help us to be ready for that day. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for the plan of salvation, for the gift of new life in Jesus. And thank you, Holy Spirit, for coming and residing in those of us who follow the Lord Jesus. I pray, Lord, that you might take your word, these words tonight, that you might continue to speak to us, shape us, convict us. And next time we come to the communion table, help us to participate in a way which is both glorifying and pleasing to you, but is also edifying to others and strengthening of our faith. Lord, we commit ourselves to you. We give you our body, just as you gave your body for us. 
We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.